This is your public radio station, KUAF 91.3, and this is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, we asked Dr. Karee Banton about her first season hosting the podcast Undisciplined and what she learned while recording the first eight episodes. That I quite like this, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Can I go back and major in journalism or something? Can I get another degree, Kyle? The final episode of the first season released today, we talk about it with the host. There are 782 new cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas after another 24 hours of testing. The Arkansas Department of Health also counts 15 newly confirmed deaths from the virus, bringing the state's total number of fatal cases to 8,880. Active cases dropped by 65 in the last 24 hours, and the number of people hospitalized with the disease in Arkansas increased by 8 in the last 24 hours to 518. There will be a runoff for the GOP nomination for state Senate seat 7, while voters have selected an outright nominee for the Democrats. Lisa Parks will be the Democrat in the February 8th special election for a state Senate seat vacated by Lance Eads. Republicans will choose next month, on January 11th, between Colby Fulfer, who received 46% of the party vote, and Steve Unger, who received 31%. Just fewer than 3,000 people cast ballots in the Republican primary. Just more than 850 votes were cast in the Democratic primary. Two teams from the Federal Emergency Management Agency are to begin assessing damage today in northeast Arkansas from last weekend's devastating tornadoes. Governor Asa Hutchinson made the announcement yesterday saying uninsured losses will need to run between 4 and $5 million to qualify for a federal disaster declaration. In the meantime, the governor said the state assistance is going toward communities that felt an impact from the storm. I've authorized uh, funding for emergency response, other emergency needs. So we're putting state money in up front. But we'd like to be able, if there is that damage, I've talked to the president, uh, we believe we'll meet that threshold. But if we do, then we'll get federal assistance. And that's the most support that we can get for the individual homeowners that have lost, have had uninsured loss. Governor Hutchinson said more than 300 structures were damaged or destroyed. The director of the Arkansas Department of Emergency Management, A.J. Gary, said the state would not be able to provide as much assistance as federal funding, but could still help those who were hardest hit. Arkansas is lucky that we do have a state disaster uh, program. So we uh, have uh, individual assistance and public assistance that pretty well mirrors the FEMA program. So if we don't meet that threshold for federal, we very well probably will meet the threshold that we have for our state program. Gary said the threshold for that is at the county level. Meanwhile, shelters remain open for those displaced by the tornado. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. The holidays are a time for joy, festivity, and thanks. But for many, holidays can also bring stress, anxiety, and depression. Sasha McBain, a clinical psychologist at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock, spoke with our Daniel Carruth about how to address and handle mental health during this season. All right. So, Sasha, can you tell me just sort of, you know, as we're going into the holiday season, um, what are some kind of stressors or triggers that can occur for people um, around this time of year in regards to mental health? Well, I think that one of the things that we're seeing is that mental health concerns have been on the rise for really the last 10 years. The pandemic has really deepened this ongoing mental health crisis. And then we also know that it's not new for people to experience more um, negative feelings or changes in their mental health around the holidays. Um, And so even before COVID, you know, a third of people say that they are more stressed out around the holidays. Their mental health takes a dip during this time. Um, And I think the reason why is that, you know, this is something that's pretty 
classically a really joyous time for people, but also a really difficult time of year for people. I mean, it's why we have these classic songs from Elvis and Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole about how sad Christmas and the winter season can be when we're not able to be with the people that we love or when we don't have those feelings that these December holidays like Hanukkah and Christmas and Kwanzaa are really celebrating with COVID, when we think about the fact that, you know, there's been about 8,500 COVID-related deaths in Arkansas to date, let alone all of the increases in, in loss that we've seen to suicide, to violent crime, to substance overdoses, people are grieving and they're, they're having significant loss that's really changed what the holidays might mean to them. Right. And as we see, you know, more COVID-19 cases popping up and, and the Omicron variant, there's uncertainty around that. You know, what are some ways that, that people can kind of cope with stress or, or disappointment uh, about having another abnormal uh, a Christmas or Hanukkah holiday season as we go into that? Yeah, it's the hard answer, but I think it's the the best answer that we have to kind of sit with those feelings and give ourselves kind of the patience and kindness to know that this isn't what we want it to look like and allowing ourselves to kind of feel the emotions around it and to kind of talk with our families about it can create a little bit more space within us to find avenues to still keep in touch with the things about this time that really are important to us and that will look different for each person. And so being able to first acknowledge like, this is hard, this is not how I want it to be. And letting yourself feel those emotions and being kind towards yourself gives you more room to get flexible of like, okay, and so now how do I still feel connected to my family? Or how do I still make this time feel memorable, even though it's not going to look like how I want it to or how it has in the past? And then are there any, you know, public resources that, that UAMS or other public entities provide uh, for people who maybe are experiencing some mental health uh, issues or, or depression during this time of year? Definitely. The first that I recommend to everyone is something called AR Connect. It's a free telemental health service that's available to anyone in the state of Arkansas. Um, it's a 24-7 nurse line that you can call and then they'll get you connected with the therapist and they also have psychiatry services. They provide six to eight sessions for free. And then if you need or want more, they can help you get connected with the local clinic in your area. AY Magazine just released their mental health guide for 2021. And so if you um, Google their magazine, they have the full PDF up on their website. There's a lot of great mental health clinics that are there for people who are um, beyond kind of you know, everyday distress and are more concerned about their own safety or the safety of their families in, in terms of suicidal ideation or mental health crisis, there are a few options. In Arkansas, we have something called crisis stabilization units. And instead of going to the emergency department or going to the police, people can go to these, these centers and it's a place where you can be safe, that you can get some help, get stabilized, and then come back into your community with the resources that you need. And there's actually one um, in Washington County. Um, it's the Washington County Stabilization Unit in Fayetteville over on Mill Avenue. Um, and so they are available 24-7 if somebody is worried about their own safety, worried about a family member's safety in terms of a mental health crisis. That's an, another option to go to. And then, of course, our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is one 800 273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. And uh, you'd said earlier, you know, that the conversation or uh, just understanding of mental health over the past maybe 10 years has been growing. Do you think that the pandemic or have you seen the pandemic sort of change that conversation and people's understanding of mental health or their willingness even to talk about it and address it? Definitely. I think that there's been a lot more open conversation about mental health, 
um, about how this time has been impacting people. And I think that's a really positive shift because there's so much stigma around mental health and a lot of shame. And I think that people are kind of coming to terms with the ways in which we've kind of been on autopilot in our lives and, you know, in our work and in our families with things that aren't really working for us anymore. What are my values and what are what's really important to me? And I think that that's an, a really important part of mental health that, you know, we think about classic things like, you know, depression and bipolar and anxiety. But mental health is a lot more of a spectrum, you know, beyond a formal mental health diagnosis. And so I've, I think that people are really thinking about and talking about the things that are working for them in their lives and the things that, that aren't anymore and that are contributing to their stress. And you mentioned this a little bit before, but just are there any coping mechanisms or, or advice that you would give to someone if they, maybe for some of the more minor day-to-day depression and anxiety that you might feel around the holidays, any advice you would give to someone? There can be a lot of pressure to be in the holiday spirit. And when you're not up for that, it can kind of further put you in a low mood or stress. And so one of the things that you can do about that is recognize that you don't need to force yourself to be happy and that it's, you know, it's okay if you're not feeling that joy in that way. The important thing is not to kind of avoid by like trying to numb our feelings or kind of overusing alcohol, other substances, which we know ultimately can make anxiety and depression worse. So rather than kind of focusing on like what you want to push out or what you're trying to avoid, what can you pull in to your life that does make you feel good or at least feel neutral? Just finding small things that you can do to focus your mind on that, you know, make you feel good or keep you busy. And then kind of, as I was saying before, riding the wave of some of those emotions, knowing that they can't hurt us, that it's okay to acknowledge them and give ourselves a little bit of patience. I think the other thing is that, you know, there's a lot of financial pressure to give gifts around this time. And so being able to give yourself permission to set boundaries around how much you're willing to spend, how you want to do gifts, you know, maybe it's going from an individual gift to a family gift and being open with your with your family and friends about what you're able to do this year and, and giving yourself permission to set boundaries around that, you know, finding other creative ways to maybe spend time or, or get around social obligations that aren't going to push you beyond your limit. Right. And then for someone who maybe is a family member or a loved one or a friend of someone who, who you know ex- is experiencing mental health, what advice could you give to them uh, if they see that or notice that in ways that they can help? Yeah. Sometimes what can happen is when we see people that we love struggling is we want to fix it. You know, we want to just like have the thing to do to make them feel better. And especially with grief, we can't fix it. You know, there's nothing that we can say in that moment that's going to necessarily be the right thing to say or take that feeling away. And so one practical thing that I always suggest that families or friends do when they see somebody struggling is let them know that you're there and that you're going to be there even when they're not answering your texts or when they can't come to the party or they can't do the things of I'm here when you're ready. And letting people know that when they do want to talk, asking, like, do you just want me to hear you out or do you need help problem solving? And then respecting whatever that person says. Like if they say, you know, I don't need solutions. I just really need to be heard. Respect that and be there and listen and validate. And when that person's like, you know what, actually, it would be really helpful to kind of think through how I might deal with this. Helping them do that and find the solution that's going to be the best fit for them and what they need in that moment. Very nice. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add or say or think people should know? I think that, you know, finding the moments for joy and happiness where we can and not putting judgment on how we get those is really important right now. And just knowing that, you know, we all have our ideal version of what we want this time to look like. And we might not be able to fully get there, but if we can kind of break down some of the pieces of like, when I strip all of this away, what is really the important thing for me during this time? And how do I get at least some of that is going to be what helps sustain us through this time. And just, you know, like being patient with yourself, knowing that this is hard 
and letting yourself kind of feel the big emotions that come up and reach out for support sooner rather than later. You don't have to suffer. There's people who can be there and and help you if you need it. All right. Some very good advice. Uh, Thank you for taking the time and chatting with me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences clinical psychologist, Dr. Sasha McBain, speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. The number for AR Connect is 501-526-3563. More information on that and other mental health resources available in the online version of today's episode at KUAF.com. And we'll give you that phone number one more time at the end of today's Ozarks at Large. Public school enrollment dropped 3% nationwide during the last school year. This year, some schools are struggling to bring back some of those students. What you're doing is you're looking at kids with the worst attendance in your school and talking to the family like, we're going to be back in person. I'm back into whatever the school is and like, let's do this. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered, today from 3 to 6 on KUAF 91.3, and you can listen to KUAF anytime, anywhere, with the KUAF app. The United States Marshals Museum will host its inaugural winter camps next week for elementary-age children and families with elementary-age children. The camps, a Christmassy crime scene, will allow participants to solve the mystery of Santa's missing sleigh bells. Now, They won't be solving the mystery alone. Santa and U.S. Marshals are going to help. Camps are December 21st and 22nd, with two-hour sessions beginning at 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. each day. Tickets for the children's camp, $25, $30 for the family camps. Tickets available by searching stubs.net. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973, with adventure gear and clothing for hiking, kayaking, and more. Packrat carries dog packs, life vests, and accessories for the furry family members too. Packratoc.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. We're nearing the end of 2021, and that means we're nearing other ends as well. The first season of Undisciplined, a podcast that is a collaboration between the University of Arkansas Department of African and African American Studies and KUAF, and produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore, ends with an episode released today. Last week, we asked the host of Undisciplined, Karee Banton, the director of the Department of African and African American Studies at the U of A, about the first season and what she discovered over the course of the first eight episodes. That I quite like this, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Can I go back and major in journalism or some, can I get another degree, Kyle? Um. I think you probably could, yes. <laughs> um. But uh, it underlined a couple key things that we had set out to really bring across to the audience um, in relation, you know, in terms of the relationship between what we do in black studies, right, African African-American studies, and um, how that intersects with what people in other disciplines, be it history, political science, um, or people in the community are doing in their activism work or, you know, different programs um, in their jobs or what students are doing and thinking about. So it really underlined a a few key things that we wanted to highlight, right? And I believe we started out by talking about that Pursuing black studies, right, or African and African-American studies, um, gaining that knowledge, that using that undisciplined approach, right, we're very much an interdisciplinary program, right, is, is to help prepare people, you know, the students we teach, the faculty who we have, to examine and explore and analyze um, experiences, um, of African-descended people from a variety of perspective, right? Um, and we talked about um, how, you know, the there's a... We, we approach this in a, a kind of um, uh, a series of habits of mind that um, uh, we emphasize in, in, in Black studies, right? So we emphasize intersectionality, Um 
you know, we we look at uh, the ways in which distinct categories of identities, um, you know, are re- reflects different um, interlocking relationships of power. Um, and, uh, you know, be it race, gender, class, sexuality, where you are located geographically, right? Um, intersectionality helps us to really analyze how these categories relate and interact. I don't know about you, but whenever I have an idea that I'm really um, enthused about, it helps if other people are enthused about it. And what I heard in the first eight episodes, the first season, were guests who were right on board. They they were with you on on this sort of interdisciplinary Absolute, process. Absolutely. You know, uh, I think um, that has a lot to do with the guests who we've had thus far, um, both scholars, students, activists, people in the community doing all kinds of different work are people who have taken on, you know, even scholars, the scholar activists, right? It's a vocation. It's their life's work. So the kinds of passion that you have to put into it, it's totally different from, say, a, a different kind of class where um, by virtue of how black studies or how black people have existed in the United States, you ne- one necessarily has to take on this kind of activism for black people to be seen, to be recognized, right? So uh, it's you're doing community work, right? That has its drawback. You know, mm-hmm. um, people tend to think that if you're so deeply invested, you're um, there's an emotional connection and you cannot be objective, right? But I mean, you know, uh, what's going to keep you going writing a book <laughs> for 10 years if it's not passion, you know, for you to be deeply steeped and engage and be thorough in your research if it's not this kind of passion that is driving you. And for a lot of black people in whatever spaces they find themselves, you know, they have to, um, you know, take on that 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 task for the community, right? And, and even students, I think the value um, that they get from these courses in, think, uh, courses in terms of the undisciplined way that the program operates, right? You, you think about, you know, knowing yourself, right? Um, and when we talk about undisciplined, you can know yourself from the inside, you can know yourself from the outside, all these different perspectives, right? Um, this kind of undisciplined um, perspective might, you know, really give you some kind of truly daring ways to think, um, not just about, you know, course material, but also think through the material, right, um, and really expose um, students um, and, 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 on, and our audience through this podcast about how to analyze and how to make meaning, Right. Mm -hmm. How to understand and to look at the world. If you're an accountant, sure, you might look at money this kind of a way, but a historian might look at it this kind of a way. A person in literature, you know, a person in art. Right. Social worker. Social worker. I mean, if I, I, one of the things that recently, I think a couple of years ago I saw was actually some of the first money and you would look at it and you see slaves on the actual bill. Right. On some of these money that artists have been like recreating and how artists have been reconstituting, um, you know, putting black people in history. Right. And putting them as regal and, you know, helping us to rethink some of those things. One of the things I loved about this first season, too, you mentioned the different perspectives, whether it was an academic at UCLA, Mm -hmm. an artist in Fayetteville. I think there was a conscious effort on your part to go geographically wide, uh, generationally wide. And experience-wide. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're going for lessons that will stay with people um, for a long period of time, right? Sure, you'll get some stories and facts and figures and, and so on, but it is the thinking, right, how you can think creatively through this kind of an undisciplined way um, that um, students or audiences will discover that 
things that they previously thought about, they can rethink it, or things that they thought had nothing in common um, have, you know, actually a lot in common. So, for instance, um, in the eight episodes that we recorded, um, if we look at music, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, you know, we had different guests who talked about music, not deliberately, but they, we see different disciplinary approaches to music. For instance, um, Dr. Scott Brown at UC LA, who looks at, um, you know, Dayton, Ohio, as this kind of musical hotbed of soul and funk bands in the 1970s, and, you know, have been written and writing about funk as a musical style, exploring its commercial popularity in the 1970s and 80s. Um, look at, uh, you know, how the community aspects of, of, of these kinds of funk bands, right? Um, and the complex relationship between the, the local community, socioeconomic and political construct um, conditions, right? If you're playing in your um, in your town and you have a band and how that structure the community economics, you know, um, the kind of black self-contained bands and, and the radio station have, you know, playing your band and, you know, the broader market, how that affects the broader marketplace of music. So people like Slave and, um, you know, all these other um, funk bands of that period of time. And then also, he, he is a writer and producer of music himself, right, under the title Scottronics. So that gives us a different ways. And he's a historian, mm-hmm. right? So Dr. Baptiste at the University of Arkansas in the political science department look, takes a different look, um, interdisciplinary um, um, disciplinary look at music, right? He's written about the relationship between Pan-Africanism and rap music, Right. So his research looks at black political attitudes as reflected through political rap. Right. So if you can look at fight the power. Right. Or uh, where does African Bambada and the Zulu nation, where do they get their their names from and the symbolism behind that? Right. So um, he's able to take this traditional area of political science where you think you're looking at the speeches of senators and you're digging through minutes and diplomatic correspondences, but looking at music as a way of conveying the messages. Um, and so uh, for people who, for instance, think that this generation, um, you know, they're politically, you know, apathetic to, you know, uh, whatnot, he explores music to show the kinds of what he calls hip hip hoptivism mm-hmm. um, of this generation, how they express that through music, how they express their politics through music, right? Um, you know, are, how do we answer the question of, of are the millennial generation, are they civically engaged, right? He sees music as a lens through which we can understand that. So um, using political science and then using music as um, a way of exploring that, He's able to approach that in a different way than Dr. Brown at UCLA. Dr. Valandra, who is a social worker, uses music to process trauma, her own trauma, but uses it also as a form of advocacy for the marginalized groups whom she encounters in her discipline of social work. So just that... um, um, Using music alone, we see how different disciplines can approach that through a variety of ways. Now, uh, there were other uh, issues that came up in the podcast, um, I think, throughout for uh, some of our guests. For instance, um, you know, who is the narrative authority, right? Um, You know, and we've seen... um, the various ways in which uh, different people and disciplines work through um, who is the narrative authority, right? So journalism, right? Who do you go to for the story, right? right? Um, history, who do you center? Who can you center, right? Do you go to uh, the archive that was created by the slaveholder to ask the story about the slave, Right. Um, so we saw that question um, come up. And then for black studies um, also existing in a space that is previously dominated by white supremacy, 
right? Um, if you look at the University of Arkansas, for instance, from its inception, um, it has more history as a white supremacist institution over 90 years, right? More more than an inclusive one, right? right? If you looked at that last talk from Professor um, Chancellor Steinmetz, right? And so if we also look at the fact that black people as um, are both objects of white supremacy, right, as well as the creation of imperialism and colonialism um, and the, the kinds of histories and the stories of the stories that they write, right, the kinds of um, constructions of blackness that we have is perhaps one that keeps the white voice dominant. Right. So how do we work the through The default. All? Yes. Yeah. The white voice is the default voice, right? I have to remind my students all the time about this. Sometimes when they meet, when they do in fact mean white people, they write people. Mm-hmm. So whiteness come to occupy that whole category, right? And um, that becomes, that's how you make the default, you know what I mean? And so um, in this kind of context of white supremacist production, right, um, where black people uh, are not afforded that history to speak and to write and to leave records behind, how much work from this kind of different disciplinary perspective might be needed to get those voices from out of the shadows as well as to give our audience a valuable education, give our students a valuable education, because not, we're just reinscribing that white supremacist education. You mentioned you enjoyed this. Yes. I also know you have a crazy workload. <laughs> Were you able to keep this enjoyable and not another task? Yes, I was able to keep this enjoyable because I don't know, I guess I was just talking, you know, the, one of the reasons why I became a professor was because I thought I could trick the system into like just me learning all the time. Mm. I could learn. I learned from my students. I learned from people who I encounter. So that mindset is what makes it enjoyable. I'm like, I have, oh, I want to learn. What are you doing? I want to learn that. I want to know more about it. I'm a naturally inquisitive person. I want to know more things. I don't know why I'm just storing arbitrary facts in my mind. But, you know, that's what makes it enjoyable for me because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have to use this information on a plane or something. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that because, and I'm got a couple of decades on you, I think. But it comes in handier and handier the older you get. Absolutely. These things you've stored away, and even if it's a conversation starter, boom, there it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many, you know, um, how many times I've been like in odd places, whether just walking and just talking with a stranger or, or with someone and just random pieces of information that I've read or in talking to other people or, you know, that I've learned from students in my class or from guests on this podcast. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that I just feel fulfilled. Like, you know, I get to use it. You've mentioned audience a couple of times. Have you heard from audience? Absolutely. I hear people, you know, um, you know, I'm just like every time they're like, I listen to your podcast and I get a little squeamish because I'm like, ah, you know, that when we started, you know, um, Matthew had to. Matthew Moore. Yes. Matthew yes. Moore, the producer of this podcast and my co-conspirator, <laughs> uh, you know, he had to repeatedly in- reassure me that my voice wasn't as annoying as I thought it was. You know, so whenever people tell me that they're listening to the podcast, that was the first barrier that I had to like really um, cross. But, you know, usually they are fascinated by something the guest said or, um, you know, um, that was, you know, the perspective that was discussed on the podcast. And we are, you know, we can sit and talk about that as well. So it becomes another conversation piece um, that is like you're, converse, um, you're continuing the conversation from the podcast. All right. I've just got a couple minutes left and I'm going to ask a really odd question. Okay. Now. Do you ever, when you're engaged in a really interesting conversation, and, I know, and I'm asking you this because I know you're an athlete. <laughs> Do you ever get endorphins? Like if it's if you're running a marathon or anything, can, can conversation the do that? dopamine? Yes, the dopamine. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay. I mean, Kyle, I'm a talker, right? Right. I mean, as my students, my classes always go over like 
talking about this kind of thing, you know, really uh, um, shoots off the endorphins, you know, um, the, the dopamine. It's, uh, I mean, passion. You were thinking about if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you really love. So, you know, I hope this message goes directly to my family who tend to, like, get a stroke whenever anyone says anything about blackness or race around them and they think that I'm going to go into a spiel, that they are really blocking my happiness, <laughs> you know? They're killjoys. Um but, but um, um, you know, I love, I love, I'm in the humanities because I love human beings. I love studying the human condition, right? Um, I love looking at different human experiences. And as I said, Black Studies is the perfect vehicle to allow us to understand this, whether it's from art, whether it's from um, political science or from history or psychology or from social work, I really enjoy understanding um, who I am, who uh, we are as a community, who we are as a nation, who we are as a people. So um, I, I enjoy it all, Kyle. Dr. Karee Banton is the director of the University of Arkansas Department of African and African American Studies at the University of Arkansas. She is the host of the podcast, Undisciplined. The last episode of the first season, which includes material from this season's guests that didn't make it into earlier episodes, is available today. Undisciplined is produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. It's available through all major podcast distributors. By the way, a second season already in production will begin in early 2022. Aurora, Arkansas Statewide Organ and Tissue Recovery and Registry Agency, is a lifeline for the 100,000-plus Americans and 300-plus Arkansans waiting for an organ transplant. The simple act of registering to become an organ and tissue donor is available at the DMV, online at aurora.org, and on smartphone health apps. A-R-O-R-A dot org for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. I've migrated over to the Harold Blanchcock News Studio where Timothy Dennis is. Timothy, hello. Hello, Kyle. Most of the time we talk about live music on Thursday. We're doing it on Wednesday. And this is the last time we're going to do this until the new year. Correct. Uh, just a reminder that Ozarks at Large will... Uh, We'll have a special Christmas show on Monday, and then we're going to take a break until mm -hmm. January 6th. Yes, yes. Although doing this on a Wednesday, it feels like old times, you know? Like it we does. used to do this on Wednesdays. Pre pandemic, it was a Wednesday feature. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so let's start with music happening tomorrow night, Thursday night. Mm -hmm. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have our good friend Chucky Wags on stage. Yep. Put his hands on my guitar. Wish I made better decisions. Wish I didn't get so mad. I wish I didn't wish so often to change all them things I can. When I see you on that highway that runs from right to He is also joined on that bill by the string band Front Porch. Yeah. Cover for that show is $10. That gets underway at 6.30 tomorrow night at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. All right. Going down to the River Valley, Majestic in Fort Smith tomorrow night is going to have Flatland Cavalry on stage. I love that name. They're contemporary country band. I like the shades you're wearing and I like your new tattoo. I see you went and dyed your hair and got a new perfume. I should have known you'd be here dancing to a fiddle song. Cover for that show is $20. Gets underway at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that is at Majestic in Fort Smith. Also happening tomorrow night up at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville. It's the next concert in the Van Cliburn Concert Series featuring Conrad Tao. Mm-hmm. He is a classical pianist and composer. In 2011, he was the only classical musician on Forbes's 30 Under 30 list. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's he's a powerhouse. Tickets for that show are $45, $36 for Crystal Bridges members, and $10 for students. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville. 
Over in Eureka Springs, God A Hole Brewing is going to have DJ Test Tube performing a set. They're going to be celebrating 51 years of Pride music. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, that set gets underway at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at God A Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Jumping ahead to Friday night, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have Boom Kinetic back on stage. They're always fun. They're going to be doing a holiday-themed show. Cover for that is $12. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Friday night at George's in Fayetteville. Also happening in Fayetteville Friday night, Nomad's Trailside is going to have a pop, punk, and alternative rock show featuring Honest Sleep, Catalina, The Cosmic Bean, and The Big Sad. That show tomorrow night at Nomad's Trailside gets underway at 7 o'clock. Moving over to the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Friday night, they're going to have Pine Top Renegades on their stage. They're a local blues and country band. That set gets underway at 7 o'clock. Again, that is at the Gravel Bar Friday night in Eureka Springs. Jumping ahead to Saturday night, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is set to have the Cape Brothers on stage. Mm Mm-hmm. It's their annual birthday concert. Yes. Cover for that is $10. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Also happening in Fayetteville Saturday night, there's going to be a metal show at the Arkansas Event Center out on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Arkansas Event Like kind of across from the old Ozark Mountain Smokehouse, that area. Oh, what I used to know is the ring? Correct, correct, Okay, okay. Uh, They're going to feature bands Pantheon, Gallo Walker, Revisionist, and Ghost in the Atlantic. Cover for that show is $8. That'll get underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that is at the Arkansas Event Center or the rink on MLK in Fayetteville. If you find my student ID from 1984, <laughs> I lost it there. I'm sure someone has already used it to buy Schlitz. <laughs> you couldn't have. I wasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Majestic in Fort Smith Saturday night is going to have the Texas-based country rock band Giovanni and the Hired Guns on stage. I'm just t- I'm going insane And the one thing that I hate We're in the same damn town and place And I still think about you Tickets are $12 in advance, go up to $15 Saturday night. That's at 8.30, again at Majestic in Fort Smith. The Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Saturday night is going to have Shiloh Molina and the Honky Tonk Flame on their stage, local band. Okay, I like the the sound of that. I do too. That set gets underway at seven o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Also in Eureka Springs Saturday night, Got a Hole Brewing is going to have our friend Statehouse Electric on stage. Oh, good. I remember the oak tree. That show gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday night, again at Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. I know I mentioned this last week, but I love the Friday and Saturday 5 o'clock starts at Got a Hold Brewing. I do too. I'm really behind that. And and what you can do then is, I'm sure those sets are over in time, so if you want to go to Chelsea's and catch the band mm-hmm. that's there that starts at 8 or 9. Or even go to the gravel bar at 7. You there know, you go. You get a little bit of everything. There you go. 
Moving on to Sunday, Georgia's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have music moves on stage for their Home for the Holidays Christmas special. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Remember a couple years ago, whenever some of those people came in, did a little preview? I'm expecting some of oh, a, a, my goodness, a similar, that was similar situation. That was fantastic. That was incredible. Yeah. To kids from 1 to 92. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to That show gets underway at 5.30 Sunday evening. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Happening Monday at JJ's in Springdale, Ashton Barbary is going to have a set. We love her. Absolutely. That set gets underway at 6 o'clock Monday evening. Again, that is at... JJ's in Springdale. And then Wednesday, Black Apple in Springdale is going to have the damn neighbors on stage. We've had them in, but it's been a while. It's been pre-pandemic. Yeah. That set at Black Apple Wednesday evening gets underway at 6 o'clock. And then finally, Thursday, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have a free set with Rachel Ammons. Ah. That will get underway at 8 o'clock again. That is Thursday at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. And then there will be other stuff that's around New Year's Eve. But again, we will not be telling you about live music again until Thursday, January 6th. Correct. All right. Timothy, thank you. Happiest of holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'll see you in 2022. Thank you, Kyle. Hopefully we will make it through the new year. Uh, That's the plan. (laughs) I'm Lisa Mullins. A reporter turned education entrepreneur uses public radio stories and podcasts to teach kids to use their listening muscle to become better learners. If they use it well, they're going to have a much easier time remembering the content or being engaged with their friends or not getting yelled at by their teachers or parents for not listening. That's next time on Here and Now. Here and Now, coming up this afternoon, beginning at 1 on KUAF. And you can listen to KUAF by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the third episode of the podcast, Reflections, with Leah Uribe and Lee Wood. This episode places the focus on the role of arts in peacebuilding, reconciliation, and healing. Leah and Lee will talk with guests who are musicians, artists, and activists. The third episode of Reflections on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. And when you'd like, on your schedule with the Ozarks at Large podcast that you can download or subscribe to through any major podcast distributor. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is Ozarks at Large. Saturday, about 1,500 students will graduate from the University of Arkansas in two separate fall commencement ceremonies. These diplomas will be the latest granted in 150 years of U of A history. Charlie Allison, the executive editor of University Relations, takes a few minutes today to consider the first graduates of the school. The year 1876 found the University of Arkansas, or the Arkansas Industrial University as it was known at the time, making improvements to the campus. These included construction of Arkansas Avenue across the eastern edge of campus, the sowing of oats across the front lawn of Old Main, work by students to install a cheap sidewalk from Old Main to the eastern edge of campus, and the purchase of a steel triangle to be played to mark the changing of classes. The improvements had come just behind the completion of Old Main and just ahead of the 1876 commencement, the first in which four-year college degrees were awarded. The university began conducting commencement exercises in 1873, just a year and a half after the first courses were offered. So no one had yet earned a degree, but the formal commencement gave students a chance to demonstrate what they had learned during the preceding year. At the 1875 commencement, nine students who had finished the three-year normal program were awarded their teaching certificates during a graduation ceremony. The next year, at the 1876 commencement, though, a full week was given over to commencement exercises and festivities. The two literary societies, the Clariosophic and the Mathetean, gave entertainment of music, recitations, dramas, and tableaus on Monday and Tuesday. 
Professor Wolf Butterfer offered a grand concert on Wednesday evening in the chapel of the university with a string band, instrumental solos on piano and organ recitals, vocal solos, and choruses by the Euterpian and Philharmonic Societies. On Thursday, June 15th, six students earned the university's first college degrees through the general course of study. Bell L. Gorton, Alfred W. Gregg, Agnes Harris, Sarah Eugenia Harris, Albert P. Johnson, and William J. Wagner. Three more students earned degrees through the commercial course of study, Kate Jones, Emory Shook, and Ulysses L. Jackson. And then three more students earned their teaching certificates during the commencement exercise, Nettie Barnett, William H. Neal, and Enoch Lafayette Taylor. For the ceremony, Alfred W. Gregg provided an oration titled Government. Nettie Barnett gave the class history, in essence, the first history of the university. Albert P. Johnson offered an oration on church and state. Kate P. Jones, Belle Gordon, and Agnes Harris each read essays. And Sarah Harris provided the valedictory speech. William J. Wagner read the class prophecy, which he titled Vox Clementis in Academia, or The Voice of One Crying in the University, <laughs> a play on words referencing the biblical verse in which John the Baptist quotes the prophet Isaiah as being a lone voice in the wilderness. Wagner, who by happenstance was the first student to receive his diploma, wrote his prophecy in the rhyming style known as Atava Rima. He poked fun at the various academic subjects through which he and his colleagues had suffered, including his favorite, the classical studies. He compared classical studies to an orchard of apples, <laughs> which, as he put it, classic students munch however green, with toothsome pleasures that he soon must rue. For classic fermentations supervene, and straight away classic stomach aches ensue. <laughs> but Wagner could also wax sentimental about his home for the past four years, and an alma mater that would become home to generations of students. He wrote, Thou alma mater, well thy part wilt play. Bright through the mists of coming years I see, thee rise in strength above and cast away the troubles of thy tottering infancy, and shine afar with an unfaltering ray which barbarous darkness shall behold and flee, a beacon set upon a hill, whose beam shall not be early quenched, but long shall gleam. The local newspaper found wit, humor, sentiment, and pathos in Wagner's poem, and made its own prophecy that he and his colleagues would have a brilliant future. The newspaper editor wrote, quote, a little band goes out to begin the battle of life from our university. A larger band behind, ready to take their place. And as if to make literal the editorial writer's allusion to battle, upon the completion of commencement ceremonies, Nettie Barnett put her diploma in a saddlebag and rode off on a mule to her first teaching assignment. Charlie Allison is the executive editor of University Relations at the University of Arkansas, and on most Wednesdays, he's helping us tour the history of the university's first 150 years to mark the school's sesquicentennial. You can find out more about 150-year observations at the University of Arkansas at 150.uark.edu. Before we end this Wednesday, December 15th edition of Ozarks at Large, I'd like to give you the number for AR Connect one more time. It's 501-526-3563. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Ozark. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large a production of KUAF. Today's show produced inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio by Timothy Dennis. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Matthew Moore, Timothy Dennis, and Charlie Allison. Our thanks to Karee Batten for coming by and additional content today from the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. New show tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF. New show Friday, noon and 7 on KUAF. Then on Monday, December 20th, Timothy Dennis will be with you and he'll be hosting a Christmas music edition of Ozarks at Large, past holiday musical performances that have been done for this show. That's Monday. Then the show will take a break. First time we've done this in 11 and a half years of being a daily show. We're going to take a couple of weeks off. The staff has worked incredibly hard the last 22 months. We will return 
after this week with new shows on Thursday, January 6th. Thanks for your continued support. Thanks for listening. Please take care of yourself. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums.